CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. What was time to Ben Jurassic show as I speak? It's Friday, August 4th, 2023. You know what we're going to be talking about today. I mean, it's it's such momentous news. It's even front page news, sorta, uh, in today's Sun Times, like tweak the Sun Times. <laughs> Somehow or other, all these indictments of Trump, they don't always make the front page in the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, my Chicago paper. Oh, Chicago, you are a funny little city, man. Anyway, Donald Trump has uh, was arraigned yesterday uh, for the role, finally, 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 uh, for his role in trying to engineer a coup. They didn't call it that in the official indictment, but that's essentially what he tried to do. He uh, tried to engineer a coup so he could stay in office forever because he didn't want to leave office. He didn't seem to really like being president so much. I don't know why he wants to stay in office. That's a whole other story. Anyway, um, I think of all the uh, trials and tribulations of Donald John Trump uh, since uh, he left office. There are now three indictments, That uh, three of them, showing my distinguished guest the number three, my three fingers up to illustrate. And a fourth one is pending in Georgia. We're going to talk about why it took them so long to get these indictments. But anyway, uh, they all kind of converged yesterday. Two of the indictments converged. The stealing of the classified documents case converged with the inciting of uh, an insurrection case or the attempt of a coup case where he uh, flew to Washington to be arraigned. Uh, and uh, he emerged uh, He emerged uh, from, the, from his private jet because he's Donald Trump and he has a jet and you don't. Uh, to say this is a very sad day for America uh, at the airport in Washington before boarding his plane back to his golf club in New Jersey. This is persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. Man, the stuff that comes out of this man's mouth. Uh, And then the next paragraph in the New York Times says, holding his umbrella for him as he emerged from his SUV on the tarmac was Walt Nauta, his personal aide who was charged alongside him in the classified documents case. This dude is still loyal to Trump. <laughs> God damn. 
This, we have entered uh, Reverend Jones country, ladies and gentlemen. This this guy is facing serious prison time. He's still loyal to Donald Trump. All right, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. He's not loyal to Donald Trump, and then away we will go. Y'all been waiting to hear what he has to say about this. Distinguished guest, go ahead. Well, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. Um, I'm David Ferris, Associate Professor of Political Science at Roosevelt University, the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and columnist at Newsweek. And uh, yeah, what a week. Um, you know, it's, I've been waiting for this particular indictment the whole time. Um, you know, when they went with the, the hush money indictments first, not like, not, not like there was a meeting and they all decided this, but like, this is just what happened, you know? Um, it's like on Christmas and you're, you know, you've got like a pile of really cool presents, but you like accidentally open the clothes from grandma first, you know, and you're like, where's the stuff that I wanted, you know? And this is the stuff that I wanted, Ben. This is, this is the, this is really all that matters to me is this, this indictment right here. Um, because it speaks to, um, it really speaks to the heart of the matter of how Donald Trump tried to undermine our democracy, not just while he was in office, but then on his way out. Um, and uh, I've always thought it would be incredibly consequential in a very negative way to let him just get away with it. <laughs> um, and uh, and he's not going to just get away with it. Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, but at the least he's going to face accountability. You know, he's he's uh, he's going to face a trial and he's going to have to answer for what he did. Um and uh, I couldn't be more excited about it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I mean, I wish it had never happened, but you know what I mean? Well, I do know what you mean. Uh, and um, uh, where do I follow up? Because there's so much to follow up. There's the political end and then the legal end. Uh, so let's discuss the political end uh, for the moment. And uh, no sooner has this in, uh, in the indictment, the latest indictment of him, uh, trying to engineer the coup, although it's not framed, phrased that way in Jack Smith's indictment, but that's how I choose to read it. Uh, then a very anxious baby boomer, and the older I get, uh, David, I realize that's redundant. Uh, baby boomers are by a set of very anxious people. Anything that happens, it's like, oh, how could this, now it's worse than it was before. Uh I'm telling all you Gen Xers out there and millennials, this too, it will happen to you. I've seen it happen. These baby boomers weren't always as bad. But this ancient baby boomer uh, exclaimed, told my wife, and she reported to me, it's now worse. He has a greater chance of being president because they were indicted. And I'm like, what are you, <laughs> baby boomers, you anxious, democratic, mainstream baby boomers? What did you want the government to do? Not indict him? <laughs> so without delving into the anxieties of aging Democrats, uh, people who are in their 70s now and late 60s, uh, David, address the general issue the political impact of now three, soon to be four indictments uh, against Donald Trump, the impact it has on the electorate. I think particularly a slice of the boomer electorate is, is I think, justifiably surprised that when a politician does things and gets indicted for things that would not, you know, would completely destroy the political careers of anyone prior to the year 2016. Um, that when this, when these indictments come down and they're very damning, I read the whole thing. Um, and, uh, I can't wait to dig into it. It's, it's just that like 
boomers it, like Nixon resigned, right? <laughs> like, uh, do you remember when a major presidential campaign ended because of uh, allegations of adultery? Um, yeah. And uh, this was in this was in the 1980s. This was uh, Mondale, Gary, Gary Hart, right? Gary Hart. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gary Hart. It was like he he might he might have run around on his wife, and it was like never heard from the dude again. He's just gone. Okay, just like disappeared from the political space. Bye bye, Gary Hart. Um, and and here you have a guy who tried to overthrow the the constitutional system of American government, um, and that was only like the latest in like the four hundred things that he did <laughs> in office that were either extremely dodgy, um, a violation of ethic, ethics rules, um, or patently illegal. And here he is leading the Republican nomination by 50 points over an equally horrendous person, Ron DeSantis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you just, everyone, all the liberals I talk to, not just boomers, man, they're just like, what would it take? What what would it take to separate this guy from people? And it's like nothing. There's, there's nothing that could, there's nothing that could happen that would separate Donald Trump from his core supporters. There is complete epistemic closure People are not willing to listen to new evidence. They're not willing to consider it. Um, they immediately just what about everything? You know, what about ism? Well, what about Gore? What about one person objected to 2004? What about, what about, what about? You know, just a ton of what about ism. Um, I read an op-ed by uh, Kimberly Strassel, one of the worst journalists in America for the, for the uh, Wall Street Journal. And she's just like, oh, so it's illegal for politicians to lie now? Okay. Um, and just like a whole litany of things. Um, of other lies and just saying like Biden should go to or Obama should go to jail for his recess appointments from 2014, you know, just, just hallucinatory stuff. Right. Um, and so everybody wants to see him collapse and he's not collapsing and it's, it's frustrating and it's shocking. Right. I understand that. Um, and I understand that the polls, by the way, if you, if we want to, if we want to take another shot at Nate Cohen of the New York times and that ridiculous poll that came out this week, I'd be loved to do that later in the show, but everybody's, everybody's flipped out about that, that poll that showed 43, 43 Biden Trump. Um, and he's like sort of solidifying his lead over the Republican field with each indictment. It seems to get firmer, you know? Um, and, um, that's all true. I mean, I can't, I can't contest any of that, right? But the idea that he is more likely to become president now, um, when he's facing three indictments, probably four in a week or two, um, and we'll be, uh, going through trials as the primaries are happening, perhaps even as the general election is happening. Um, the idea that this will benefit Donald Trump, I think is a little bit far-fetched. Um, a couple of things to keep in mind about the, the data that we see out there right now. Um, one, it is August in an off-year election year. Um, aside from these indictments, no one is really paying attention to politics. Okay. Um, you get a lot of people who are not answering the phone for polls. Um, in that the infamous New York Times forty three forty three poll, um, there were thirteen hundred respondents, and eight hundred of them were Republicans. Um, and they had to do a lot of work on the back end of that poll to like weight the samples, and it just didn't. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, two, all all we're seeing right now are the indictments, right? And to the average voter, this all this all probably feels quite similar. Um, to when the Mueller report was released or right, like um, we've been down this road before right, where um, uh, somebody in a boring suit from DC 
says a bunch of stuff that Donald <laughs> that Donald Trump did, um, and then he gets away with it, and nothing changes. Okay, yeah, it's going to feel very different um, if there are ongoing trials during the campaign that don't seem to be going his way, and I, I honestly don't think that the the January sixth uh, election coup conspiracy trial is going to go well for him. The evidence is really damning. Um, if he is convicted of trying to overthrow the American government. <laughs> Okay, that's not what the indictment says, right? The indictment says, like, conspiracy to defraud the United States, um, conspiracy to, to uh, interrupt an official proceeding. People are like, oh, oh, interrupt a proceeding. Oh, wow, gee. Um, <laughs> no one's ever done that before. But, uh, but it's a serious thing, right? He, decided, he, he, he uh, launched a conspiracy to not just to interrupt the official vote count of the Electoral College votes, um, but, to have Donald, to, but to have Mike Pence gavel him in as reelected that day. Like, that was the plan. Okay. That's illegal. So, <laughs> um, anyway, I, I think that the consequent, the political consequences of this will be felt further down the line, um, as these things develop. And if you dig into the polling data, even of the GOP primary, you will see a certain slice of the Republican electorate does not want him to be the nominee. Um, it like, 25% of the, of the Republican primary elected is, is like committed anti-Trump. It gets not enough to win, <laughs> but it's enough to influence the general election. Right. Um, because all Biden has to do is peel away some minuscule in the broader sense segment of the Republican electorate, which is really what happened in 2022. It's why we didn't get our, our butts handed to us <laughs> was uh, some, some segment of normally Republican voting voters we're like, I actually don't want to live in the Handmaid's Tale hellscape. So maybe I'll hear the Democrats. Um, so it's called America, not Gilead. Let's not do this. Um, and you know, if three, four percent of Republicans change their minds. That's the that's yeah. the that's the ball game right there. And that's what we have to count on because we're certainly not going to be energizing the youth vote with, with Joseph Biden. Um, <laughs> and, like people aren't going to be like rallying in the streets like, woo, Joe. Uh, here's my TikTok about Joe Biden. Um, so anyway, um, I understand the concerns. I, I share the concerns. I mean, the other day, uh, my, my wife came to me and was like, what is this poll? Like, are you serious? He, he cannot, it cannot be tied. It cannot, it truly cannot be tied. Right. And I was like, it is tied. Um, but here's why I think it's not something to get overly concerned about. Concerned. Don't get me wrong, Ben. I'm concerned, <laughs> but I'm not, uh, I, I really don't think that, um, these indictments make his election more likely at all. I don't either. Uh, and uh, but before we get to the substance, uh, for you to take the deep dive into uh, the indictment itself, let's follow up on that uh, New York Times poll. <laughs> Which, <laughs> listen, you know me in the New York Times; they are a, a caricature of themselves. I am a loyal reader. I am a subscriber. Okay, New York Times, I'm holding you up like I'm holding up the Sun Times, all right? So I'm allowed to criticize you guys because I subscribe. I'm a paid customer. Uh, but I think your business model is to play upon the fears and anxieties of boomers. It is so obvious. And so no matter what it, the news is, there's a twist that to like, just like, stick that needle into the boomers and get them going and oh, it's horrible. Uh, so the co and, and by the way, the master of this is this kid Cohen, uh, Nate Cohen, who <laughs> every poll he sh has, no matter what the outcome is somehow or other, 
bad news for Democrats. This kid has figured it out, David. I give him credit. I'm sure he's making a good living doing this. Uh, he's enjoying life. But you really can't take him seriously. This is me speaking, not uh, David Ferris. All right, so I'll stop on that and turn it to you. Uh, your thoughts on that 43 to 43 tie uh, in Cohen's poll. I've really, I've like lost track of the number of times that Nate Cohn personally has sent like every liberal in America into a, into a panic <laughs> bin of like doom scrolling and like looking for real estate in Canada and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's like his shtick, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, all of which is to say, look, I mean, on on the eve of the election, if I look at a New York Times Siena poll, he does these polls with Siena College in New York. If I look at a New York Times Siena poll, I, I trust it's a good poll, right? They're they're on the up and up. I, I will grant them that. Um, and even this poll, which I think was really methodologically flawed, they were transparent, right? They included this like nine page note at the end. <laughs> about everything they had to do to get this weird sample to behave that they wanted the way they wanted it to. Um, but just to, um, you know, not to get too technical for the, for your listeners, but like they didn't get enough Democrats in this sample. Right. And when you don't get enough Democrats, you're also specifically not getting enough of the democratic democratic subgroups who vote overwhelmingly for Democrats. Okay. Um, that's specifically voters under 20, under 30, um, black voters, uh, Hispanic or Latino voters, um, and so what they had to do is they have to, they have to weight the subsamples, um, that is give extra, um, extra weight to the, to the 18 to 29 year old Democrats that they did reach. Right. So it's like, if you were supposed to reach 20 of them and you only reached eight, um, you do some fancy statistical juggling to make those eight people into 20. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Um, Yes. And this is no this is not abnormal, right? Like um pollsters wait for all kinds of things in a poll um due to the difficulty of reaching the exact mix of the kind of people that you're expecting to encounter. Um but waiting for certain things is not uncontroversial, particularly waiting for for what's called party ID. Right? So if you get a if you if you do a poll, it's a thousand people and you find you, you've got 40% Republicans and 30% Democrats and 20% independents. Does that even add up? And you were expecting something very different, right? Um, some pollsters will change the poll. They will change the results of the poll by waiting, putting extra weight on the subsamples that they were expecting to get more of. Okay. I'll stop. This is probably getting boring. But <laughs> the point is that they had to do a lot of work um, yeah. to increase the number of Democrats that they expected to find in this poll. Um, and and Cohn freely, had, it, it was like, um, he was like, okay, everybody's going to see that there were 818. He called it in the, the poll, called it an oversample. He's like, everybody's going to see that there was an oversample and just dismiss this poll, but here's what we did. Okay, fine. Um, again, I like, I mean, I appreciate the transparency, but what happened in the end is that you get a bunch of completely implausible cross tabs, right? That is, um, the, what, what the poll shows, um, you know, men or voters under, under 30, Voting is completely implausible. I'll give you one example. Um, the poll shows um, Biden winning young voters, voters under 30, 47 to 37. Okay. <laughs> if Biden only wins this demographic by 10 points, um, I will eat this computer that I'm on right <laughs> now. Um, and also we will lose the election by like eight points, you know, um, 
it is such an implausible number. I mean, 18 to 29 year olds went for Democrats by either 28 or 37 points, depending on, on the poll that you're looking at in 2022. That's a Republican leaning midterm election year. And Biden won this demographic by, you know, about 30 points. Right. So the idea that in uh, what's it been eight months, he's dropped off 20 points with, with this one demographic is just not plausible. Okay. A drop off is plausible, but a drop off this large is not plausible. Okay. The poll shows him winning 71% of black voters, 41% of Hispanic voters, 36% of men, all of which are <clears throat> completely implausible shifts in a single cycle. Um, and, and the pollsters will tell you not to do what I'm doing right now. <laughs> They're like, don't go diving into the crosstab, Ferris, <laughs> you know, crosstab diver. <laughs> Because, like, look, the reality is, like, probably every poll is going to have a couple of crosstabs that you're like, that's weird. Um, but this one has all of them are weird, right? Like, everything that you would expect um, from the subsamples of, of Democratic leading groups, whether that's, like, women or uh, black voters, Hispanic voters, young voters, is off. Right? It's, yeah. it's really off. Um, there's actually a really fun thing that you can play around with online. Um it's a, it's a simulation, um, I believe. Yeah, so NBC News did this. It's called Swing the Election. Uh, it's not updated for 2024 yet, but it, it allows you to play around with the, with the vote percentage of various uh, demographic groups that are critical to one of the two parties, okay? Um, and you can, you can take the 18 to 29-year-olds, it's set at 60-40 Democrat, and you just, you lower it. You're like, what if Democrats only won 51% of the vote? Uh, of this yeah, subgroup yeah. <laughs> and Biden gets absolutely clobbered, right? Like just yeah. annihilated if with, with like a five point shift in 18 to 29 year olds. Yeah. Um, and so these are hugely consequential subgroups to get wrong in a poll like this. So uh, it's not that I think that it's not that I even think they shouldn't have published the poll, right? Like um, I think that in polling, it's like you get a, you get a poll and it's, you think it's like, well, this might be an outlier, but you just put it out there. You're like, this is the work that we did. Maybe it's an outlier. Let's do some more polls and we'll see. So um, this is a long way of saying I'd have to see this kind of data reproduced across multiple polls before I would believe it. Yeah. Um, and polling this far out is not super predictive in a, in a head-to-head matchup. You know, I think in each of the, each of the cycles of the 21st century at this stage, it's like, Kerry was leading, you know, Romney was leading. Um, wow. And so the thing that gives me the most concern is not really these numbers, but the fact that our nominee is Joe Biden. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> because if anybody could blow this, it's like an 82 year old man who's, you know, his own advisors don't want him to go in front of the cameras, you know? Well, I, uh, uh having heard your, uh, that riff, I, I think they shouldn't have, uh, released the poll. And um, if if there was a comparable news story filled with this many errors, uh, they would not have released it. So, uh, but in the game that they're playing, it did exactly what they wanted it to play. I'm sure it got a ton of hits, and it fired up a bunch of 70 year old baby boomers who are now <laughs> just hiding under their bed. So it's exactly what they wanted to do. Uh, I. Who know? Uh, listen, when I saw the forty three percent for Trump, I go, "Oh well, that makes sense." I mean, he's got fifty four percent. The latest New York Times poll, 
in the Republican primary if he just took all those MAGA people that love him or, or hate Democrats or a combination of both, and that's the 43% he's got. I, I, that's just kind of my, like, seat of the pants type analysis of it, okay? Uh, it was that the tie, <laughs> I think, like, what? So, you know, I mean, 43 and 43 is 86. You tell me 14% of the... Listen, David, we're going to get to the substance of it, but I don't believe it matters that Joe Biden is the nominee. I believe, once again, the only issue in this election or the main issue in this election is Donald John Trump. That's it. And that's that's where we're at. It was the main issue. It's been the main issue since 2016 in American politics. Uh, and until he dies, goes to jail, says, that's it, I'm out, and leaves, and uh, he, it will be the main issue. So t- t- Joe Biden, I don't even think he has to campaign. To be honest with you, like why bother? <laughs> you know, uh, over, you're not going to get fire up people for Joe Biden overnight. It's it. Donald Trump will scare the hell out of people, or he won't. And that's to me what the election is. Joe Biden is not going to turn into Brad Pitt overnight. Okay, so and I don't even know what young people want anymore. I mean, that's you wrote a whole book about it. I had a uh, Miles Conflas on the show yesterday, uh, lefty in these times writer, and, and he was uh, analyzing the situ- political situation from a, a leftist point of view and the need uh, to um, promote programs that help people. Okay, uh, it was just your, it was excellent analysis from a leftist point of view. I don't even know if that would sway where we're at right now. You could put money in the pocket of a MAGA voter in the state of Michigan, put it in his pocket, say, this is a check from Joe Biden himself, and he's still going to vote for Donald Trump. So at this stage, uh, David, I feel like we're just going to ride this out. Uh, And that's how I view it. I don't know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain segment of the electorate that's unpersuadable, right? Um, and that, I, that's not new, right? But there's a segment of the electorate that's unpersuadable in normal times. Um, Pre-Trump, you know, it'll be true post-Trump. Um, what's unique about this moment is that there are people who are unpersuadable away from one specific person. Mm. Right? Like, um, Donald Trump has created a personality cult around himself. Um, and he controls, you know, roughly half to 50% of the GOP electorate um, will simply do whatever he wants. Um and that's a, that's a new situation in American politics, right? It's usually about your partisan commitments. For this group of people, it's specifically about Donald Trump. Um, and so that, that explains a lot of the lack of movement and polling that we've all been puzzled by over the last seven years, um, especially early in the Trump administration where you think like, well, this, this is it, right? <laughs> yeah. This has got to be, you know, I fired the FBI director. It was like, well, this is, I mean, this can't go on, right? Um, and it went on for another seven years and counting. Right. Um, and so you just, we're just going to have to beat him again. I mean, I, there's no other way to put it, right? Like he could be convicted of all these crimes and he can still stand for, for the presidency. So, um, I don't know what they would do. They would like, install an oval office in jail or whatever, <laughs> reproduce one or, you know, give him house arrest in Mar-a-Lago. I, I don't, I don't even know what that would look like. Right. It's, 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 it's so absurd that we have to think about 
Yeah. What it would be like to have a president running from president or elected president from jail. But that's the, that's the position that this dude has put us in um, by, by not like sort of just slinking away back to Mar-a-Lago and, and disappearing from public life. Like we all really desperately want him to. Um, and so, yeah, you, you have to stay, you have to keep your eye on the ball here, which is like, I think that it's very important that he go to trial for these crimes. Um, at the same time, uh, there's very little that Democrats, like people like you and me, can do to influence the direction of those proceedings. And we we really have to focus on the ele- how do we win this election, right? Yeah. Um, how do you convince young people to come out for a president that they're not enthusiastic about? Um, how do you prevent any further erosion um, in some of your core subgroups like uh, like Latino voters that has been a little bit of erosion over the last um, four to six years, how do you make sure that doesn't happen, right? Like, what's the plan there? Um, because unless something changes, <laughs> it's going to be Trump-Biden. Those, that, that's, that's the reality that we face right now. Uh, you have a president who will not step aside for the younger generation for reasons that are not clear to me um, why he even wants to be doing this. Um, but, but there he is. He's running. Um, and then you have a disgraced former president, one-term president, uh, facing a million indictments and is the worst person on earth. Uh, and I think you're right. I mean, Biden could just be like, I'm Joe Biden. This is the other guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, That's yeah. the other guy. That's going to be the president if you don't vote for me. So it's up to you. you know, God bless. <laughs> that's that's pretty, pretty much going to be uh, our next year of po- politics in this country. All right, let's take uh, take a, a dive into the indictment itself. You said it's a fascinating read, uh, and uh, why don't you uh, pinpoint in your, uh, some of the um, the revelations in it uh, th- that, in particularly, intrigue you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so it's a it's a forty five page document. Um, I would recommend reading it um, in speaking of the New York Times. <laughs> The New York Times like annotated it. They did a they did a drop with the whole indictment, and they had little notes in the margins. And this is why we pay for the New York Times, Ben. Right? Not for Nate Cohn. So, Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you one hundred percent. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And so he 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 creates a very skillful narrative. Okay, um, this is something I touched on in, in the piece I wrote for Newsweek this week. But there was a post election phase where what Trump was doing was like stupid and vile, but legal. Right. Um, when he had his attorneys file a bunch of ridiculous lawsuits, um, you know, he has the right to say whatever he wants about the outcome of these states. It's disgraceful <laughs> to get up and lie. Um, but it is protected speech. Right? Um, and so up to the point where his post-election strategy was filing legal challenges to the results in the battleground states, um, going on TV and, and hallucinating about, you know, dead <laughs> voters in Atlanta or whatever, stupid conspiracy theory that they never produced a shred of evidence for, um, or even, um, dominion, uh, voting machines. Um, I guess he could be held, he he could be held civilly accountable for those lies and for defamation, but he wouldn't be going to jail for it. So if he had just stopped there, right. When the last lawsuit ran out of gas, right. Um, when they were tossed laughingly by the judges who were like, this is ridiculous and you could probably get disbarred for filing this lawsuit, get out of my courtroom, which is essentially what happened with every single one of the lawsuits that they filed. Um, if he had stopped there, we would not be having the conversation. Okay. Um, the actual illegal things that Donald Trump did in the aftermath of the 2020 election 
uh, are laid out in very painstaking detail in this indictment. Okay? Um, a lot of it um, revolves around apparently notes that Mike Pence gave them um, about Donald Trump's efforts to, and this isn't even about the riot, right? This is about efforts to uh, manipulate the the counting of the electoral votes on January 6th. Um, and that conspiracy had a number of different components, one of which was um, he actually did this. He, he organized, well, his idiots, you know, his like sub-idiots, um, organized fake uh, slates of electors in seven different, seven different states um, and had those <laughs> painfully gullible people sign those documents and send them to Washington to be counted on January 6th. Um, they did this, um, you know, in complete contravention to state law um, and in, in contravention of all um, legal procedures. They were just fake electors that, that Trump organized. Um, and he organized them specifically to disrupt the counting of the electoral votes. Right? Um, and so you have, uh, you have that conspiracy laid out kind of end to end in the indictment, um, include things I didn't, I didn't know. Um, the extent of this plan. Like, I didn't know that they had done this in seven states um, until until recently, <clears throat> but they did. Um, the, se- the second part of that plan was, was the pressure that they put on Mike Pence um, to use, uh, as Jack Smith says, uh, I like that he, he has a way of subtly digging that's stupidity in this indictment. And he's like, uh, the defendant tried to get Mike Pence to use his ceremonial role, <laughs> counting the votes. Um, and the, the plan was either, um, that they were going to, they were going to stop the vote count. Um, because Mike Pence would open, um, the competing electors from those seven States and be like, well, you know, due to the dispute in these seven States and we can't certify an, a, a winner, um, John Eastman, who's a lawyer who I believe is unindicted conspirator number two, co-conspirator number two, uh, you know, there's these six people that are named in the indictment, um, who are, uh, I think probably getting their affairs in order right now, uh, <laughs> saying goodbye to their wives and children. Um, and, uh, you know, unindicted co-conspirator number two was like, well, what we should do at that point is that like Mike Pence, and they tried to get him to do this. Mike Pence would just be like, well, well, just, uh, who knows what these states, uh, Donald Trump's reelected, bam, bam, gavels him in. And that's it, right? Um, and the indictment, one of the most uh, disturbing elements of the indictment is an anecdote um, where a White House counsel is talking to one of these people about this plan. And he's like, dude, if you do this, if he stays in office and he doesn't leave, there's going to be like riots in every American city. Are you kidding me? And the guy was like, well, that's why we have the Insurrection Act. Okay, so the plan was to gavel Trump in as reelected and then use the military to, to crush the, the ensuing protests. Okay. Did that have any chance of, of succeeding? Probably not because the military was never going to go along with that. Right. But it, it doesn't have to be like plausible to be a crime to try to do this thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> so their efforts to get Mike Pence to unlawfully manipulate the proceedings on January 6th, um, are another core piece of the indictment. Um, and then there is, um, Trump and his attorney's efforts to pressure individual state legislators or state officials to to change or to you know find votes in their states. Um, interestingly, not a lot in this indictment about Georgia. 
um, and the, the Trump and Raffensperger calls, because I'm, I'm assuming that Smith knows that there's a whole nother case coming out about that. Um, but there is quite a bit about um, efforts to get the Speaker of the Arizona House um, to, to convene a, a session of the legislature and override the will of the voters and just submit Trump's electors. Um, you know, again, stuff that was maybe, maybe this came out in the January 6th hearings, but I, I didn't pay. I wasn't watching them every day. Right. So I, no, it did. It did. I, and I was, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, little kids, Ben, little kids. Uh, yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, but, uh, I, uh yeah, yeah, so that's, that's, it was, um, it's a pretty disturbing document. You know, it's, it's disturbing that people keep doing this for him. Um, it's disturbing sort of the extent to which I think what felt at the time, like a really ham fisted, like, you know, hokey bunch of morons, like, uh, doing a bunch of stuff that wouldn't work. The revelation that they, they were really serious about it. Um, and they took a bunch of serious steps, including like, um, drafting constitutional memos and relic. They, they weren't playing around. Right. Um, in the, in the immediate aftermath of the election, when Trump started doing this stuff, remember like the unnamed Republicans that were like, well, we just got to let him like mess around a little bit and then he'll, then he'll concede. Um, and it's clear that that was never the plan. Like he would have stayed in office. He would have done this, like the consequences be damned. Um, and, um, I don't know how you can read this 45 page indictment and just say like, well, it's just a politician lying. You know, this, this went far beyond lies, you know, far beyond lies. Oh, and uh, so I will say uh, to the point you raised about the congressional hearings, much of this was in the congressional hearings. Uh, it doesn't make it any less significant that it's an, an indictment. <laughs> uh, in fact, the congressional hearings were sort of setting the table for the indictment. Now, the last time you were on the show, and I urge everybody to check out if you haven't heard that, uh, that one, because uh, David went on a great riff about uh, Senator McConnell. And uh, how he could have put an end to this once for all had he whipped the votes uh, to um, impeach Trump uh, and prevent Trump through that act of impeachment to uh, convict Trump in that in that impeachment trial, uh, keep prevent Trump from ever running for office again, forever running for president again, I should say. Uh, and um, he didn't. He chickened out. The conversation I had yesterday was uh, with Miles, or alluding to that one again. We talked about the delay in terms of the Democrats to prosecute. I'm, get your thoughts on that. I have some opinions this, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, it took Merrick Garland, <laughs> the attorney general, until, what was it, a year ago? I, I've lost track of time, David, to appoint Jack Smith. The crime was obvious to all of us in January of 2021. You know, the call to the Secretary of State in Georgia was known back then. You know, we saw the people climbing walls at the Capitol, all right? I mean, so your thoughts on that delay, that cautiousness uh, of uh, Merrick Garland and the Justice Department, which has not, by the way, in any way, stopped Republicans from accusing them of all kinds of mal political malfeasance, uh, which is such a joke when Democrats think that uh, if they move to the right, 
the Republicans will be less harsh <laughs> criticism of them. It's like, do you guys ever learn anything? I guess the answer is no. So your thoughts about the delay? It's it's unconscionable, right? I mean, there was a there was a blockbuster story that came out in the Washington Post in January and July um, about how Garland specifically and and the FBI dragged their feet over pursuing Trump in this investigation. Um, and it was not, uh, like a, you know, a bunch of things that got lost in translation. It was like, they, there was a concerted decision made, um, to, to try to avoid prosecuting Donald Trump for the events, not just the events of January 6th, but the whole post-election conspiracy phase. Um, and you know, Garland was worried about the reputation of the justice department. He's like, he thinks his job is to restore the, the integrity of the justice department. Um, how's that going, buddy? Um, and it's, uh, you know, when I think about Merrick Garland, <clears throat> I, I, I always wonder how he doesn't wake up every day and scream. I'm supposed <laughs> to be on the goddamn Supreme court. Yeah. You know, like, I, like this yeah. dude should be walking around like, like it's just a pile of rage. Um, and instead he remains this like loyal little functionary, um, more interested in, like DC norms that have been proven, it's been proven conclusively that no one cares about. <laughs> Not that no one should, but that no one for sure the voters don't care about Justice Department procedures. Um, I, I just, he's such a mystery to me. It's, it was such, I think, a huge mistake to appoint him as Attorney General. Um, it was like a weird sort of like revenge move on Mitch McConnell, but like Merrick Garland doesn't understand vengeance um, and has been acting in a way that suggests he's more afraid of the consequences of prosecuting crimes than, than what's right and wrong. And so there's a lot of, there's a delicious irony um, in that Jack Smith didn't, was, it was less than a year ago, right? It was after the election. It was after the 22 election when Trump launched his campaign and Garland then again, sticking to justice department procedures was like, well, uh, I can't be the one leading an investigation of an active presidential candidate. And so he appointed Jack Smith to lead it. Um, I don't know if he knew what Jack Smith was going to do. <laughs> yeah. Or if he was surprised. Um, but once the case fell into the lap of someone who was willing to, you know, prosecute it, um, things actually moved very quickly. Um, and I remember just like you, when, when this happened in November, I was like, Oh great. You know, a special prosecutor. I'll see you in 2027. Um, but uh, that's not what happened. I mean, Jack Smith, you know, he hit the ground running um, and we and we have these indictments. I think he moved as fast as he could because there had essentially been no work at all done. Um, aside from like the January 6th hearings, I don't think there was anything serious in the works when he took over. Um, and it was again, if it's like if and when Donald Trump d does spend the rest of his life in jail, which I, I think is increasingly likely. Um He's going to look back on that moment when he decided to run again. And, and he's going to think, hmm, you know, if I hadn't done that, no, I don't think he would be ind indicted for anything. Well, that's, that's the point I made yesterday. The politics of it uh, is that was the political. That was that was the political part of it. You know, he was going to get away with it all. He was. If he didn't run again. If he just uh, if he just conceded. If he just said, you know what? I won't run again. Uh, I beat me the the ban on running i intimidated mitch mcconnell into not 
whipping up the votes to put it in your phrase. Uh, but I will just quietly accept this verdict. But no, that's not Donald Trump. He's the opposite. I would go there when you were riffing on Merrick Garland. I'm like, I was just starting thinking of the contrast, Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh. They, <laughs> the way they fought to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's, st- you know, Clarence Thomas still has a grudge 30 years later for how he was treated uh, in his 1991 uh, confirmation hearing, which every criticism he got was warranted. Okay. But, but Merrick Garland is like, oh, hit me again. That's okay. That's okay. Beat me. I didn't really want the job anyway. It's fine. <laughs> he didn't fight for it. He didn't fight for it. The Dems didn't fight for it in 2016. You were the one. This is a David Ferris. I'm just stealing his line. Uh, it's in his book, ladies and gentlemen. Barack Obama did not put up a figure that would fire up the Democratic Party. So he he figured this is, there's no, no, no red states, no blue states. I'll take this milk toast guy. And, uh, oh, the, de- the Republicans will go, sure, he's he's a, a moderate. We'll go with him. No, they don't play that way. <laughs> what are you guys? Uh, I sometimes wish I were a Republican. Uh, and, <laughs> I mean, it's like at least my t- your team plays to win. Yeah. It's like sometimes. You know, these are the guys. <laughs> What's that? So sometimes I wish I was a Yankees fan. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah not this year. No, no. Uh, Yankees are terrible this year. Um, so yeah, I, uh, uh, I'm with you. It's uh, Jack Smith did a great job of putting it out there. I do believe. Uh, what do you think about this? You must have gotten delight out of this. Donald Trump's lawyers asking uh, that the case be moved to West Virginia. <laughs> Well, my God, Joe Manchin would be on the jury. <laughs> uh, I uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the responses and you've already, uh, to the indictment. And uh, let's start with Mike Pence. And I have to admit, he caught me off guard. Uh, he came out strong, uh, Mike Pence did. And, and he said, essentially, that this is very serious charges uh he essentially said the indictments warranted though then he added the cat you know well i don't know if it's going to uh it's really weird he can't just come out and let it go you know what i'm saying he's got a whole back i don't know if it meets the standard uh, the proof you know the burden of what did he say i don't know if the government can meet the standard the burden of proof beyond reasonable doubt for criminal charges but the American people deserve to know that President Trump and his advisors didn't just ask me to pause. They asked me to reject votes, return votes, essentially to overturn the election. Hello? You get on the stand and say that. How? how I would call that the standard. You know what I mean? That, that, just that need to, like, appease MAGA. They were out there with nooses to kill you. What are you worried about the standard? Oh, jeez. Anyway, uh, but for Mike Pence, David, that it's pretty out there. Uh, yeah, right? I, I mean, I think even Mike Pence, you know, they used to um, in his time in Congress, he was known as Mike Dent. Um, <laughs> even even Mike Pence, I think at this point understands um, that if he wants to separate himself from Trump, this is this is going to be the way to do it, right? Um, he can't run as a religious fanatic because Trump appointed the three people <laughs> who have turned our, our country into a reproductive rights dystopia. 
Um, there's no room to the right on that with Trump. Okay. Um, and I don't even think it's motivated by anger about almost being murdered. I think Mike Pence is such a, um, such a pushover that I don't even think he cares. He just wants to be president. Right. <laughs> like, he, I don't think he cares at all about what happened on January 6th. I think he was like, this is so ridiculous. I can't believe I've worked for this guy for four years and he still won't go away. Um, like, I think he's just, I think he's tired of Donald Trump. Right. Um, but fundamentally doesn't like really care about what happened on that day. Um, he just wants to figure out a way to be president. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't think there's any, I, 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 he's a, he's a very, very small chance of winning, but um, I think his only path is to, is to convince the Republican electorate that he's right. Right. Like that um, overturning the election uh, was, was not just wrong, but illegal. Uh, he's got his, he's got his work cut out for him because he, along with everyone else on the face of the earth in the Republican party refused to push back on it at the time. You know what I mean? Like, and this is, this is, I think this is the heart of the matter here, right? Like when the narrative was being created and was setting in that the election was stolen, it is people like Mike Pence who could have gotten out there and said like, this is absurd. I don't know what this dude is doing. But there is no evidence um, in the indictment. It says over and over, outcome determinative fraud, right? <clears throat> there is no evidence that this is true. Um, but what he's doing now is he is fighting against an, a, a consensus inside the Republican Party that the election was stolen, right? And not just a fragile little consensus, like a two-thirds consensus of Republicans think either that the election was stolen um, or that like the the aggregate impact of like, you know, extended voting hours or mail-in balloting or whatever means the election was essentially fraudulent. Okay. Um, and if you think that the, if you think the election was essentially fraudulent, then you're not going to look at what happened in the aftermath as a problem. You're just going to say like, well, he was fighting for it. You know, I mean, it was stolen from him. He was fighting for it. Um, and that's the consensus that Pence helped create yep. by serving loyally under Donald Trump and only breaking with Donald Trump when he was asked to do something blatantly illegal. This is not a profile in courage. Okay. He served Trump like a little handmaiden for four years. Uh, he carried his water. Um, he, he stuck up for him. Uh, and at that critical moment, when I think he could have pushed back against that emerging consensus in the party, he didn't do it. And now he wants to undo two years of work, avoiding going in public and telling the truth, right? He wanted to save it for his memoir and he wanted to give the notes to Smith um, without having to testify. If you remember Pence, defied a subpoena to testify before the January 6th committee profiles and courage. Right. Um, and so, no, it's not going to cut it. I mean, I, you know, God bless. I, I, the more Republicans are, are talking about th that this was actually legal, the better in my opinion. Um, and it's, it, it's in terms of like holding Trump accountable, it's better late than never. But I think that he, uh, I don't know how he's going to, I don't know how he's going to break through. You know, I just don't know. I, that is such a good riff. And and uh, forget whether he can get elected president, uh, the nomination. Just go back to what I was talking about, how the different reaction between like Merrick Garland, Clarence Thomas, and Brett Kavanaugh. It's, my, everything that Mike Pence said yesterday or the last couple of days since the indictment went down about how Trump tried to pressure him to throw out votes uh, and alter election, he knew on January 6th. Then he watched the insurrection with the guys with the gallows, and he came back, okay? And he could have said, you know what? I know what you, I know what you tried to do, Donald Trump. 
I know what you tried to do. He could have said everything he said yesterday on January 6th. And you think about like where we'd be now. You, you talked already about Mitch McConnell last uh, time you were on the show, not whipping the votes. I just was thinking about when you were in that riff. Oh, my God. What if Mike Pence had spoken the truth? Yeah. You know, he says, my faith requires me to speak the truth. My oath to the Constitution requires me. Well, you you didn't speak the truth. You hid the truth. You wanted to have it both ways. You figured Trump would just leave and then you could be the nominee as his loyal vice president, knowing what a criminal guy this was. You're absolutely correct, David. You're absolutely correct. You're, he can't, he's trying to have it both ways and he can't have it both ways, which is little different than Mitch McConnell, who is just acting like the whole thing is not happening right now. Right. <laughs> I don't know that Mitch McConnell knows that anything is happening right now, but based on what I've seen of his recent appearances, you know, so <laughs> he, had a, he had a rough day. All right. Uh, let's close with uh, what's become a regular feature uh, on your appearances on the show. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> there's two questions. One, uh, we need the Ron DeSantis question and two, the Chris Christie question. We'll start the Ron DeSantis question. So if the election were today and you had no choice but vote for one of these two candidates, uh, based on everything you know up till today, <laughs> I ask this question to my wife nearly every day, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you vote for, Ron DeSantis or Donald John Trump? <laughs> You know, my dad says he wrote in his own dad in every election for like 30 years, starting yeah. uh, starting in the 60s. <laughs> so I'd probably just write in my dad. But um, <sighs> and they're both so awful. They're just awful. Both just such just awful. awful. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess Trump, because he'd have a better chance of dying uh, in <laughs> office, you know. <laughs> oh, Lord. I think DeSantis oh, is younger than I am. He's younger than me. Uh, he'll be around for a while. So, um, I guess it just, it just depends. Like what kind of chaos do you want? Right. Um, do you want chaos about like, uh, norms and laws and the constitution and all this stuff? Like, do you want, um, daily blowups with the latest nuclear power? Like, do you want him, you know, making dick jokes with Kim Jong-un again? Um, stuff like, you know, do you want the Trump experience? Um, or do you want someone who's going to come in and like, uh, you know, uh, try to fire uh, every librarian in America and like, go to war with Disney. I mean, it's just both like just the, both the policy platforms and both of these gentlemen are so absurd. Um, I don't want to live through it at all. Um, I guess Trump has the advantage of occasionally being funny, I guess. And DeSantis is <laughs> hopeless, no, I, insufferable. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's an unpleasant choice, but I guess, I guess Trump because he's dumber. I I, I don't I don't know how else to put it. Like Trump is dumber. I see be easy to to outmaneuver in in various ways. But I, to be honest, the election of either of these dudes would be like a complete catastrophe for America. So. It would be. I actually think Trump is smarter than DeSantis. I actually uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he just I I think Donald Trump is uh, a pretty uh, cagey character to put it mildly, and uh, I think Ron DeSantis thinks he's really smart. And it's not that smart. So um, this campaign has not been, shall we say, very effective. 
<laughs> yeah, that would. I would go. You, you were very convincing with the age issue. Although then that would leave you vulnerable to who the vice president was. Lord, <laughs> Donald Trump's vice president going to be Larry Elder is now the president right. of the United Sidney States. Sidney Powell. Oh my, Sidney Powell. All right, and then we get the this one. Just always this this question always cracks me up. Is Chris Christie any closer to being the nominee uh, today than he was two weeks ago? Again, the leader in the Republican primary is facing three criminal indictments, ladies and gentlemen, including one for effectively trying to engineer a coup. Uh, Chris Christie is the most prominent Republican candidate to criticize him, right? Uh, there's uh, Congressman Hurd is also also criticized him. Yes, that's correct, but he's not as well known as Chris Christie. Uh, so, d- do you think Chris Christie is any closer that, uh, this week uh, when we're having this conversation than he was two weeks to securing the Republican nomination? I mean, yes, but in this sense, okay, it's like if I go outside and climb a ladder, am I closer to Alpha Centauri? Yes. <laughs> Am I meaningfully closer to Alpha Centauri? No. You know what I mean? Like, climb a mountain. Are you closer to the moon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to get there? No, you are not. So that's what I would say. Like, of course, he's doing what he has to do to make himself even a remotely plausible choice. Um, but I think the end result is like 0.8% to, to 1.2%. And I'm like, he's not getting any real traction in the race. I will leave it with this. There was a quote in today's Sun Times, um, <laughs> that one little corner of the paper that they dedicated uh, to the arraignment. <laughs> well, it's not Chicago, Ben. There's no Chicago angle, okay? And by the way, Lollapalooza is going on. Um, so, <laughs> can't forget Lollapalooza, all right? Um, so they had this one little section that they d- uh, dedicated to Donald Trump's arraignment, <laughs> the arraignment of a former president. Wow. Anyway, uh, and they quoted some minor functionary or fundraiser who from Illinois who is supporting, I can't remember his name, and I don't have the paper in front of me, who's supporting DeSantis. Uh, and it was just significance because this guy is contributes to Republican causes. So he's a donor. He's not a candidate. Uh, and he said, I believe I'm the forefront of a movement. And they're just slow to catch up with me. In other words, the movement of Republicans who are saying, you know, maybe it's not a good idea for our party or our country to have Donald Trump as our candidate. So, and then he said that um, politicians don't want to get too far ahead of their voters. So they see where their voters are. Their voters are still mad. They think that election was stolen or they're just sore losers uh but in time they will get over it i don't know that's that's like i don't know if it's a silver lining but it's an interesting take we'll close with your thoughts on that man's perspective i think that there's some plausibility to it okay i don't think desantis is the guy um I, i you know i think somebody like tim scott is much more likely to be the recipient of this migration than DeSantis because Tim Scott has not already turned himself into this like national lightning rod <clears throat> in the culture war. Um, he's just like, what if we did like Republican stuff that we used to do? Remember like when we, yeah. 
cut taxes and served rich people. That was very popular. Um, what happened to that? Um, and I think that the way that people talk about this primary race is with a little bit too much certainty, given what's going on. You know, um, if you're up by 40 points in a normal year and you're not facing a million indictments, <laughs> and you're not Donald Trump, I would say, yeah, he's in the command position and he's unlikely to be unseated. Um, what's happening right now, and this has been clear since after the election, if you think back to November 2022, um, there was a lot of frustration in the Republican political class about what had happened in these elections, and it was all blamed on Trump. It was like every one of his handpicked little minions like lost by five points more than they were supposed to because people are like, this dude's weird. Like Blake Masters, you're weird. You're a weird person with weird ideas, and we do not like you. Carrie Lake, you are weird. No, no, thank you. I mean, Carrie Lake was defeated by someone who essentially didn't campaign. Um, yeah. <laughs> Katie Hobbs was just like, yeah, see her? No, thanks, right? Like, come with come with me, Katie Hobbs. Um, you know, she's I she's fine, right? But she has, like, the charisma of a, a, of a desk. And, uh, and she beat Carrie Lake in a Republican-leaning year in a Republican-leaning state. And so Republican strategists looked at these outcomes and said, like, man, We've got to get away from this dude. You know, there's two things we got to do for 2024. Um, we need to we need to subtract Donald Trump from the equation. We got to figure out a way to talk about Dobbs uh, in a way that doesn't kill us. We got to come up with some kind of framing of this that's not going to slaughter us at the polls. Um, and that was the that was the height of DeSantis mania when, in the aftermath of the election, Republicans were like, "Well, this sucks. I hate losing." Uh, it does seem like we've lost pretty much every time Donald Trump runs the only reason he was president is because america uses like the dumbest electoral system on the face of the earth um, and so um it wouldn't be shocking to me if we arrived back at one of those moments um where the party you know it could be a month of really bad polling for trump where party elites are like you know it's still in the primary phase somebody else could still win um they just they have to consolidate behind someone right now um, and personally, I think like the faster they get DeSantis out of the race, the better off they are. Because if you subtract DeSantis from the race, then it opens up this like, well, who is the alternative to Trump? Um, and I, to me, that person is obviously Tim Scott. Now, I don't think that Tim Scott has like performed particularly well in interviews and stuff like that. Um, but but he has a nice story. He's he's not uh, obviously an extremist. I mean, he's, he's I think he's taking some extreme positions because he has to because he knows what party he's in. Um, but like, I wouldn't wake up on the morning of a Tim Scott victory in, in November of 2024, like despairing for my life, you know? Um, and that's like, he's like, you know, that's a big difference between Trump and DeSantis. Like I would wake up in November, 2024 and be like, it's time to open that, like, you know, um, cocktail stand in Costa Rica. Like I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> and with Tim Scott, I'd just be like, well, it's like a four years of bad policy, but like we'll live. Um, yeah. and so, but so I don't disagree with that assessment overall. I think DeSantis is the wrong person to try to migrate that sentiment towards, and he's the wrong messenger. Um, and I think they'd be much better off just consolidating behind a, a Tim Scott or a Tim Scott, like figure out who that would be. Uh, Glenn Youngkin. I, I don't like these people, Ben. I just want to be clear. Um, but there was, a, there was a poll that showed uh, Youngkin would win Virginia against Biden, right? Like, so the fact that there, like, there are people out there who would, who would run better against Biden, um, who are, I think, more representative of what the party used to be, um, and who are actually reasonably popular with the voters now. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me if, it, if enough bad polling ro rolls in 
um, that, that again, we had another like sort of November, 2022 moment in the party where they're like, this is just not going to work. We got to, we, we got to try something else here. All right. A little hope there for Tim Scott. Uh, uh, and, uh, but I, I actually think you're onto something there. Uh, they were, even though it's 54%, it is not absolutely certain that Donald Trump will be the nominee. All right, uh, David Ferris, we've run out of time. Uh, thank you very much. Every other week he comes on, uh, brings us the good news, the bad news, but always with a sense of humor, which I appreciate. Whenever I listen to the shows again, I'm, I have to tell I'm laughing out loud. Uh, so uh, I'll talk to you in another couple of weeks, all right? Sounds good, Ben. Th- thanks for having me on the show as always, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, that's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 